Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 122, Why the Fundamentals Are Important with special guest Veronica Explains. She's going to explain to us why the <laughs> fundamentals are important. It's me. <laughs> Hi. Hello. I'm Hello. so glad to be here. It's so great. So glad to have you back on the show again. It's been, I, actually, I'm not going to say how much, how long I think it's been because my sense of time lately is just so off. <laughs> Yeah, but we're excited. Uh, we do not have an ad read for today, uh, but good. Thank you for people who reached out to us. I've just been bad about getting back to those people uh, who want to sponsor the show. So we will we will get that sorted out soon. <laughs> the- it's so hard to get back to some some. It sounds easy, but at the same time, it's like editing video, producing video, the website, this, that, and the other thing. It all adds up. But there's well, a lot. Do we we call for a business manager, someone to to do the business behind the scenes, the things we don't want to do. <laughs> Yeah. I'm an inbox zero person. So anyone that emails me gets a response. Can't promise when, but they will. That's how I that's how I say it. But yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about like our email um procrastination issues. We're here to talk about home lab stuff. So yes. Veronica, we're gonna talk about why the fundamentals are important. And I kind of feel like off camera when we're complaining about small little problems in OBS that seem un- inconsequential, that's not quite the same thing as we're talking about, but it's an example of a small thing is a big thing. And when you're working with the shell, yeah, in the home lab, it's got to get the bases covered. Absolutely. I want to comment on something. I think one of the reasons you think a lot about the fundamentals is the same reason me and Jay do. Uh, We all like a lot of the retro tech stuff. Oh, yeah. It makes you think differently about the computers. I think about my TRS-80, the fact that I I had to peek and poke memory registers to push Mm -hmm. the limits of the hardware to get the thing you want. So you get these different level building blocks uh, kind of coming from that space to think about the modern systems that we have now, which are substantially more complicated, but the fundamental systems work in a very similar way. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's amazing how having experience with vintage technology, you know, stuff that um, that didn't abstract away the insides of the computer, quite literally, um, how that can influence how you approach any sort of modern device. You know, it's, I, I don't want to say that modern computers feel like consumable peripherals in a different way, but I think there's a a similar vibe to it. Like you start to look at what you use every day as components to be manipulated instead of just, you know, like a magic rectangle. And that, that makes such a big (laughs) difference in terms of how you approach your stuff, but then also how you approach your data and how you approach your everyday needs with computers here in, in, the roaring 2k20s so it's exciting it it really is i love i just love classic computing i I feel like it it kind of scratches a niche that isn't scratched now i think this is is exactly what you were already saying just just maybe i'm saying it a different way it's just you have all of this technology that came before and you have what's not what we have now and like you were saying it's kind of like a product that's one cohesive whole but we don't we may not necessarily want it to be one cohesive whole. So they sell you a computer with the operating system built in. Obviously, nobody wants to turn on a computer and and not have it work. And they QA the operating system to work with the hardware and work with this and work with that. And they produce a product that, as far as they know, does everything on the box. And then we get it. We strip the operating system out. We put a different operating system on it. And maybe we'll change the Wi-Fi card. And, you know, here they are trying to sell us one product. And we're trying to it's almost like the mentality didn't change, but the hardware did. Is that, do you agree with that? 
you know, the I mean, the hardware evolved. The hardware has continued. It is it has become more complex. I think um, it's 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 definitely harder. You know, for example, you know, we talked about peaking and poking. Um, if you don't know, you're changing memory registers on um, like in ancient RAM, basically by using basic commands in order to set different different variables. Um, and we obviously don't have that need anymore because we have so many more powerful tools that abstract that away. Um, that's very different than it used to be. But understanding where we came from can be a really big benefit toward understanding how to manipulate even a server where, you know, understanding how this application, you're looking in the logs and you start to see that, you know, you're having memory issues or something like that. Having that experience with it when you only have 64K of RAM or 5K of RAM can mm-hmm. help you in troubleshooting situations where you have 128 gigabytes of RAM. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I do. <laughs> and I, it's yeah. like, I feel so spoiled. I don't even know what I could use it for. But I remember when I had like 64 megabytes of RAM and I bought this game pad and I couldn't use it because it required 15 megabytes of RAM. So it's either use the game pad or the game, but not both at you the can't same do both. time because <laughs> you can't have them both. So I had to, and then when I upgraded to 128 megabytes, I thought, oh my gosh, I could have my gamepad and my game at the same time. I mean, no I one's ever now. needed more than 128 megabytes of RAM. It's a, it's a myth that you really need more than that. You can yeah. get everything done. Like, mm-hmm. I, you can get RAM 64 online enough. with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> our game systems on exactly. And, you know, I'm playing, you know, game i'm playing ps5 games on a was i have like eight gigs of ram or something i mean this thing's got 16 this is a 486 here and it's got 16 megabytes of ram and that's enough <laughs> i'm able to get i like i i could write scripts on this thing i could do very basic http only web surfing on this thing there's a lot yeah. you can do with a little bit of information or with a little bit of power and it's so I think it's so helpful for home labbers to see how this stuff works in configuring and building out your modern day systems because so much of home labbing is doing more with less and getting a feel for how you can work with very constrained resources can really help give you perspective on what you need and what you don't need in the modern day. I, I agree. I used to develop games for fun, not something that I'd never developed anything that anyone would want to play on purpose, but it was fun to, you know, just write some code. And my mentality back then was to find the slowest piece of crap computer I could possibly find that barely runs and get their game running reasonable on that old piece of hardware. And then it's like conceivably fine on anything after that point because it would run on something older but to to your point though the fundamentals are important and and this is a funny story i don't know if i told this on the home lab show before but i had a game that i wrote i was you know pretty proud of it i sent it to some friends for me it worked fine i sent it to them and then everyone who played it when they resumed a save file they resumed their save game in a random level every time now when I get the game on my system, I cannot reproduce this 100% of the time. I always resume a save game properly. And I, I 
you know, pass the code around and everyone says, yeah, it should do exactly that, that we don't see a problem. I spent two months trying to figure out why I had this bug. And then eventually I just had a random idea. How about I just use Memtest 86 on my computer and see if my memory is bad. And sure enough, the RAM was beyond terrible. I was having no errors on the operating system. And it's weird that the game would work fine for me. And the only reason why I could think that would be the case is it's correct as compiled in my RAM, but right. in RAM, it's not quite the same thing. Absolutely. And there was troubleshooting for two months, an issue that wasn't even the code, because sometimes we don't even look at the hardware. Like, like, do we ever look up, look at the case to see if a capacitor is blowing anymore? I mean, I didn't, and I wasted a whole day trying to fix something. <laughs> You, if you want to learn how to like fix problems in a bash script, a really great language for introducing yourself to some of these concepts is basic. And that's, I, I still maintain, if you can build some very simple tools in, in basic, that's going to give you fundamentals that you can use for bash scripting or Python or other, other languages later on and and i still i'm i'm so sad that we don't have more um basic being taught you know to to a certain extent basic has been completely subsumed by python yeah the, people start with python <laughs> exactly and python's a great language don't get me wrong i think python is a much more fun language to actually build in every day um right. but i think a difference with basic is that so much of basic is built around manipulating the hardware and python abstracts this layer from you you know for the most part and I think that we lost something collectively when we moved away from a language that for the most part required you to manipulate directly how your system, like the physical hardware. And mm -hmm. that took away from so many learners, so many students, the ability to understand really what's going on in this thing. And right. I, I, I wish we had a language that could replicate that. Um, because right now I just don't see it. And I think basic was the last time we really had that. Well, and one of my yeah. complaints has been, uh, it just drives me a little bit nuts and maybe you as well. The amount of frameworks that people attach to things today, because I look at still and, and Steve Gibson being one of the outliers out there still producing stuff with assembly language, you know, right. you're like, wait a minute, how is this thing so useful, but is still measured in kilobytes. And <laughs> Yes. It's interesting because you see some of these apps, you're like, wait a minute, why is this app nine gigs? What does it do? It's a printer driver. It's, it's like, what is? what did they add into this thing? Uh, but yeah, yeah, you're right, though. There's there's an abstraction layer removed, and it's trying to remove from the hardware. And I guess they're trying to get more people into programming, seems like that. But I, I agree with you. Understanding the fundamentals, thinking about the hardware, you, you can roll back all the way to like John Carmack and Doom and all those people writing that. They really thought a lot about the hardware to absolutely optimize and get the most out of it. And I don't see that as much, especially in the games right now. You you go back, I love the stories from the Atari days, the Nintendo days, especially when you know yeah. you've got these developers who have really talked about how they made the game and all the tricks they had to use to make it all work right down to like, this is how we trick the hardware into allowing this sprite to show somewhere else on the screen, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. I, I, I've always found those really interesting because now they're like, I don't know, just uh, include 20 different large libraries. What are you doing? I'm drawing a cloud. 
it needs right. 20 libraries. Well, it works now. Uh, yeah, just have them download all that. <laughs> it's it's strange because, I mean, technically, and Veronica, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure you know more than this than I do. But I, I, I'm pretty sure I read that games like Mario 3 back then with the amount of memory and everything, and, and I think even the original Kirby were impossible on the NES. And I know we're not necessarily talking about games, but it's kind of the same thing. We're memory constrained, and they're writing you know, you know, in assembly language for that, but they still had to work around the hardware. And then PC games, nowadays people are complaining if a game doesn't run in Linux, and I'm just glad I don't have to adjust a, you know, like a like a pin on a sound card or something to get it to work with a game the, that I'm trying the, to play. The last video on my channel actually talked about this a little bit because I was talking about how to copy uh game cartridges. I happen to have a, a Game Gear car cartridge right here. I was talking about how to copy them onto your modern computer. And um, I went into how those game cartridges often included additional pieces of hardware, which made things that would have otherwise been impossible on those consoles possible. Um, and that was that was such an important part of computing in that that space constrained and that hardware constrained era. Um, this is why systems like the Atari, which is a 1977 system, um, were able to keep making games for 10 years because slowly but surely more and more hardware was being packed onto those cartridges. And that for them, that that really did help things along. That's also where the change over into optical media and other types of games made right. a difference. It was because the underlying hardware was getting good enough to where it could consistently outperform what you could jam into a cartridge. Um, yeah. That's it, it does, you know, any sort of vintage programming does give you a, a really good baseline for how all this stuff connects and i think these are really good fundamentals to learn uh and i don't know if you've seen this video but it blew my mind and it's wonderful it's easy to find maybe i'll add, I should add it to the show notes but type in making a cpu in excel and oh. someone built a cpu using excel and i really really like about it and i shared it a few times with people going this will understand how registers and everything work in a cpu this is a series of different, really basic fundamentals. And by the way, yes, they're all being done in Excel, which I thought was absolutely just a, it was all those thought experiments someone had that turned into, a, I think video's got like a million views. It's super oh, easy good. to find. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's a good teaching moment where you start thinking about these. This is how CPUs work. These are how uh, the data moves through these. And these are good building blocks. And, you know, I, I don't, before we get way out topic on this, um, do you have some uh, things besides basic? Uh, what are, what are some other fundamentals that we want to uh, make sure we impart upon all the home lab users that are listening to us? <laughs> well, getting beyond vintage computing, which is one of my favorite topics, obviously, um, you know, talking about more modern stuff, I I think anybody who's going to home lab, and I know this, this can get controversial, I think anybody who's going to home lab really needs to have a really good understanding of bash. And yeah. even if you're using a, a web GUI, you know, which I mean, something like cockpit. Yeah, I love cockpit or um, Houston is yep. another, um, yep. which is very clever. Houston cockpit. Yep. Yeah. Rockets taking off. It's great. Um, yeah. But the idea of, um, you know, th these are great tools. And, and as a system administrator, I've certainly appreciated them. Um, but when something goes wrong, you're going into bash, you're going into the shell. And specifically, a lot of the time, our 
bodge fixes, which will keep something afloat until there's some sort of update from upstream or, you know, something like that. A lot of the time we're having to monitor and manage that stuff in bash. And I think that translates just as easily to the home labber who might need to build out scripts in order to manage their stack and monitor their stack even if your other monitoring is failing, even if your other management software is failing, you've still got to be able to go back and do that. And I think that Bash yeah. is is super important. I love Bash cookbooks. There's all kinds of, um, I think No Starch has a, a Bash cookbook that's pretty good. Um, I don't remember what it's called. I don't think I have it on my on my on my shelf up there. Um, it, it might be downstairs, but um, there there are so many great, books to help you get started that you can pick up for not too much. And, you know, you can get started with just figuring out some of those fundamentals right there and just try stuff on your own. So the interesting thing about Bash is that it, it seems like it's one of those technologies that you always have to know, even if you don't use it, because mm -hmm. there's so many people that'll, that'll switch to ZSH or whatever their favorite shell is, but then they'll find themselves eventually on a machine that they haven't installed ZSH on that doesn't default to it. So they have to install it. So they're using Bash or they're not allowed to install that at work. So they have to use Bash. Oh, yeah. work. It kind of seems like um, some things that we replace are really hard to be a 100% replacement. Even if we have a, a favorite text editor, um, you know, Vim or Nano or whatever it is might not be installed by default. So Absolutely. you still have to know whatever is going to be there most likely. So I feel like Bash is just... One of those that is, uh, like you said, it's, it's for me, in my opinion, it's not controversial. It's just true. You have to know it because you're going to be on it. You're going to be using it. So, and eventually. I mean, you can you can live in the terminal if you want to live in the terminal. Um, I live in the terminal a lot of the time. I do. I do a lot like my, um, you know, I watch your channels. I'm watching you from an RSS feed from my terminal. You know, it might open it up in YouTube. But yeah. I'm seeing, I, you know, I don't trust the YouTube algorithm to actually tell me when you have a new video out. Right. So when I when I actually figure this stuff out, it's it's usually through the terminal because the terminal is just bog standard. And I something happens to my computer, I can reset everything, and it's simple terminal stuff. And yeah, there's GUI ways to do this, and yeah, there's cloud based ways to do it. But all of that adds additional abstraction away from the parts that I like to tinker with and yeah. in my mind that's kind of the ethos of the home labber is that ability to tinker with and play with and manipulate these tools and you've really got to have that terminal background that command right. line interface so, down so question here what rss reader in the terminal is your favorite okay right now i'm i'm using newsboat i've always loved newsboat um i i don't sync um i i i'm trying to figure out a way to sync newsboat against like nextcloud and I, right now i'm doing that manually with just nextcloud itself and and configuring it that way but i would like to be able to potentially carry my newsboat reads to my phone and that's something i haven't figured out just yet so 
I, I'm still using fresh RSS because the web UI works so I can be wherever with it. Oh, but, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm such a sucker for anything I find in the terminal. I love terminal UIs. They are oh, uh, they're, like, that's always <laughs> a pure thing. I, I do not look, I do not look forward to a world where maybe those are not as popular. And I know I'm already in a world where those aren't as popular as the right. main ones, but I feel like, will the next generation keep developing these? <laughs> that's my hope. Yeah. Well, I mean, I well, feel like, the computer science layer is being lost in time and in some way, even though that is, I'm not saying that that's a, a overlap of every home labber, but I have to imagine right. there's a certain subset of people that have a home lab because for them, it's the most current modern way to get that same feeling where you have control of your hardware. You can swap in and out different things. Whereas, you know, like we were saying earlier, these things are being sold as just a, a one cohesive product and, you know, we're the people that want to, you know, micromanage everything. But in the past, we always had to micromanage things because right. we had to change a jumper on a sound card or this or whatever to get a game to work or put your paging file on a different um, hard drive so you can get some better I.O. on your spinning rust or something, <laughs> you know. We dealt with all this, but I just had know, a nightmare it, when you said that. <laughs> it, it's a good thing that, that that the kids don't have to deal with this stuff because they could just do what they got to do and, and get it done faster. But there's still but, that layer of how does this work and how did we get here that I don't want to see go away because I feel like that's very important. At the same time, though, on my 64 gigabytes of RAM, very nice computer that I'm using right now to 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 participate in this stream. Um, the other day I had an issue where I was trying to render a video and was running into some RAM bugs and the quickest salute and I, I had to go buy new ram and i couldn't get to the store um but the quickest solution to resolving the render bug was bust out my terminal and set up a swap file and just work off of the swap file i i rerouted the 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 process to the swap file opened up the the application again started the render and it worked just fine and that's the kind of thing that you know you you'd think that we've gotten beyond but we haven't gotten beyond anybody no. who's participating like i you know i wouldn't necessarily have to be a system administrator to have benefited from that i just have to be somebody editing a video and right that that could be your your graphic designers or you know any anything else like that i knew how to fix it um and that was great but having that understanding isn't something that just benefits the nerds it it benefits a lot of people who just use computers and i would love to see more of this taught and explained and i think that home labbing is a way to get this experience in the real world practically well, and it, it also serves as like it did for me this morning. I had a, I had a I learned I can break XCPNG in a, in a way that the developers go that shouldn't have worked. <laughs> so and and when, so I I told them I ever I had my lab set up so I tore part of it down and rebuilt it. I'm like nope it it, it does exactly this. You're like it shouldn't do that. Um, so now there's a new pinned comment on a video I released recently, but it's it's such a good test bed. Because this is an enterprise level product that you know use use out there, but it's completely accessible in the home lab. It's fully open source. That's why I've been doing a lot of videos about XCP. Right. Um, but you know, the home lab enabled me to go through all these little processes and everything else have 
you know, I'm doing it on like these really cheap uh, four core mini PCs because it's not about performance. It's about reproducibility of a problem so we can look at it, walk through the code, look through the database and go, oh, for some reason it thinks secure boot is on was the end of it, but it doesn't produce the certificates for secure boot but it says it's on. That bug was not supposed to exist. That was supposed to be fixed. It goes through an auto-magical process to set up uh, secure boot certificates, but turned out it wasn't actually copying the search where it was supposed to go, but left the flag on. So Absolutely. Um, yeah, it was those little weird things. This is where Home Lab, um, you know, I'm working with the, you know, the developers, everything else, got my lab set up. It's sitting there behind me and just a couple of mini PCs tied together. And it's, it's fun because um, you, you can really get into the nitty gritty, like he said, of uh, sorting something out that was really esoteric and not doing this in production on Fridays. <laughs> right, exactly. Yep. Well, and then you get, mean... you get the extra benefit of when you understand these fundamentals, if you like, let's, let's, as an example of another fundamental, Git, let's just use Git as the example. Understanding how Git works in a way that lets you peruse the branches or create your own fork to get some work done, not only can help you resolve a problem directly without having to, um, work through the upstream or work through the, the the creators of the tool, but then allows you the potential to be able to help contribute back. And right. anybody who's a home labber understanding Git without needing a um, GUI tool. I mean, there are great GUI tools, but there's always going to be some goofy thing, you know, that you can't easily achieve in the in in the GUI tool and being able to get that stuff done is right. extremely helpful in a home lab it's always been helpful to me just in terms of identifying which version of this particular like which version of next cloud introduced this piece of software let me peruse the git and let's see if i can figure this out and then let's see if i can push a change to my server on my home lab to see if I can fix this to then see if, oh, I fixed it. Well, here's a bit of information for who, anybody else who's going to be running into this problem. And that's how we contribute to better home labs for everybody. Yeah, the collaboration in the community is absolutely huge right now. Uh, Wendell brought up last week, and I thought this was a really good point, and it kind of ties into everyone's like, oh, isn't AI going to just solve this for us? And AI is going to be this, you know, we don't need to teach people to code. And I've seen someone through that in the comments. Not at all. Um, the, the goal of the NVIDIA CDO is to make the stock go up and to the right. <laughs> they wanna, <they're>, uh, <laughs> our goal is to actually educate people because we just want to see a better community. And what Wendell brought up was really a good point where because the one thing, the one absolute thing that we have learned from the AI stuff is it's, it's a regurgitation machine and it can regurgitate right. garbage in an unbelievably fast manner. And oh, it's also, great at garbage. Yeah. And <laughs> Google can slurp up that garbage and bubble it up to the top. So it's not the end of search because you don't need to use search. It's the end of search because now we, they can fill it with garbage. But we know now, now we seek the opportunity that Tom, Jay, and Veronica can be these watering holes of real content that tells you things where you understand, oh, we're the, we want to help build the community so we have a purpose. So you can start just ignoring the search and going towards some Absolutely. of those validated watering holes of information that we have. So the reasons I, I've talked heavily about why I host my own forums, why I level, uh, level one text host their forums is because 
I don't want to put my data in some proprietary Discord server somewhere where it's right. locked away and maybe Discord will, well, we're just waiting for the day Discord announces, it's all going to some AI, all the stuff in a Discord, and uh, we're going to lock you out of it because we can and you've built on our platform. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I like Discord just fine as a chat app, you that know, one. like yeah. it's, it's, it's great as a way to just chat with people, but as a knowledge store, it's pretty lousy. And I think that people, you know, especially open source projects migrating to Discord for their support, we lose something by not a having lot. that stuff in a forum or in a public space. Um, one project that has done a really good job of keeping this stuff public is is the Krultra Book project, which is actually my next video is going to be about. It's it's about getting uh, Core Boot running on. Chromebooks and oh, cool. they have a, yeah, it, it, like native um, vanilla core boot because Chromebooks use core boot, but in a different way. And long story short, they have an excellent forum and docs page that's all open source that, and I, I if they have a discord, they don't surface it. And they, they usually say, we want to talk on forums. We want this stuff to be public because we want search to find it and we want people to discover it, which I think is a really smart way for people to do open source. But that's also how we used to do open source. <laughs> and we kind of oh, yeah. became used to useful chat apps becoming a place we don't really have to get out of. And I feel yeah, like we've lost something point. with that. IRC for the win. I'm I love IRC. Yeah, <laughs> no, I do too. It, it's like I don't, I haven't used it in so long, but I kind of want to just because I, I, I like it. You know, I, know, it's just I kind of want to go back as well because I'm yeah. not the number. Yeah, spin up an IRC server. <laughs> the spam on Discord. It, it was never this bad on IRC. Yeah. Well, and with IRC, I, you know, I have the benefit of being able to get this thing on it. <laughs> that one, and it works great in terminal. It's yeah, exactly. Because Discord's rather large for a chat app. If you, I use it only in a web browser, but even then, it, it does consume some amount of RAM in the web browser. Oh, but if you load it as an application, one, I don't trust it. I don't need it on my computer. But I'm yeah. like, it's kind of big. It's huge. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, I don't use Discord. I don't use any social media on my phone. But I don't use Discord on my phone, and I don't have. Um, I don't use Discord on the computer itself. I only ever use it in the the browser yeah, and same. it's it, it like it's fine as a chat app but like it's doing an awful lot of ram for a chat app and you know i i i but i know that the people behind it i'm not picking on them but they're not necessarily optimizing it for productivity yeah. they're optimizing it for eyeballs and yeah. i my fear with with discord is what happens when the money become you know you talk about stock going up and up and up yeah what what happens when there are opportunities for them to uh take advantage of our data with that that's that's mm -hmm. always my concern with, they with stuff like this like reddit yeah reddit reddit's ongoing yeah. deal to sell data um, it's not just a one-time deal to train data they have an ongoing agreement to have all their data sold to ai now i i don't i'm not the one that could I don't want to segue us too much because, you know, right. it's a, an interesting topic to, to think about. But um, it's anytime you lock yourself up in any of these apps that you don't control the platform itself, the right. platform will eventually do what the platform does. And absolutely more so if it's VC backed, you know, if it's either venture capital backed or if it's held, beholden to the stock market, because it always has to go up and to the right. That's that's their goal all the time. 
Yep, that's how it works. Yep. Nope. I I I I love IRC. I mean, IRC has its its flaws and its strengths, but with mm-hmm. IRC, you, you know what you're getting, which is which is chat. You're getting the it. Yep. It's not pretending to also be a BBS. And it's not pretending to be a document storage. And that I I feel like it makes home labbing harder. It makes running your own services and self-hosting harder to hide a lot of these great tools and the documentation for them behind a social media website. And I like I love the idea of forums making a comeback, self-hosting your own forums, making a comeback. And documentation making a comeback. You know, like I remember the days of spiral bound notebooks for your programming languages. And I want to come back to that. That to me seems like a great way to, you know, I saw in the chat somebody talking about kids learning this stuff. Kids like reading if you give them books. <laughs> you know, you mentioned That's that. I, how it I works. I have this overwhelming urge to pop open my Commodore 64 box or <laughs> or take it somewhere else, either cut my internet off or take it right. somewhere else where there's no internet and just nothing but electricity and a monitor. And that book that it comes with that teaches you how to program and just like have a weekend off the internet, just that book, that Commodore 64, lots of pizza and soda and just have a lot of fun, just like people used to do. Because, you know, that it's so cool to go back and see how they did it but but a lot of people don't realize this your computer came with a book that told you how to program for that computer like it wasn't just a computer with applications you run like we have now (laughs) you've got a book in the box that tells you how to make your own software specifically for that computer so if you wanted to become a developer you have what you need right there already and i don't other than a Raspberry Pi, I think that's the closest we have to a computer like that now. Well, and even the Raspberry Pi, so much of, you know, I noticed this recently, um, you know, I, I bought a Raspberry Pi 1, you know, the first one that came out. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like there was a lot of documentation and there was a lot of information about how to, you know, hardware hack the thing. Um, nowadays, uh, you when you go to Raspberry Pi, you're seeing video. You're seeing it's right. it's it's made... I mean, I'm not saying video is not accessible. I obviously make videos on the internet, so I I like video. But there's something that's lost by abstracting away some of this information into, hey, watch the video till the end to learn this. You know, like Mm -hmm. we need really great documentation. And the Raspberry Pi documentation is there. You just have to go digging for it to find it. But um, I like I love the idea of equipment and tools and and stuff that you can just sit down no internet and manipulate and that's a really great way to get into a zen with it because i I, i've said this before i'm going to say it again home labbing is like a garden it's like having a garden it's something you tend to it's something it's meditative when you do it right it's it's a process we need to be a little bit more like jeff gearling he, he does a good job with all his videos of having accompanied write-ups of them. <laughs> yes. Oh, I've been, I'm, yeah. I, I've got that on my, I've been working on that. 
Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I channel my inner Jeff Geerling when I do some videos. I just updated some uh, documentation for Greylog. I can't fix the video. The video yes. was correct at the time of release. There's a change that right. was made, but I did tell people I have all the documentation late. So I just went and updated the documentation to add a parameter that you right. now, that is now required with the latest version. And, you know, so the documentation, if you follow my rules or, or follow my video, it says download from my GitHub. It's still, that right. answer is still correct. So I think that having the right mix is an important aspect of it to where the things that might be dynamic because videos are points in time. They don't, right. you know, it, it, people are like, oh, it's an opportunity to create another video. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't have time for this. And I hate to have a bunch of people downloading something that doesn't work. So right. <laughs> you have to have some separation on there. It's very <laughs> yep. important. Yeah. No, I love I love written documentation. I mean, I love videos. I watch videos. I make videos. So, you know, I'm obviously in the ecosystem of videos and I appreciate it, but I don't think you can beat a good documentation page. And especially if you can make that documentation page also something offline, um, yeah. that's that's huge. And a lot of really great projects have done a good job of, oh, there's an EPUB version of this book or of this Doc, or, you know, we we wrote a, our docs page has a PDF offline downloader. You can just get the entire thing on a PDF and stick it on your e-reader and away you go. I, I love those offline moments where you just get to hit the thing and see what happens. And, and one yeah. of the reasons I still like GitHub is it's easily publicly accessible. You can just get clone my documentation. You can have copies yeah. of any of the things I put in there. Uh, and, and matter of fact, you could easily script this to auto update and let you know when there's a notification for a change in uh, the docs. I think these are good ways to handle it. I do like the other solutions, like you said, EPUB, PDF, auto download, some way. Oh, yeah. So in case that information goes away, I have an easy way to mirror it locally. Right, exactly. No, it's very important. And and it also, I mean, that's another thing you can self-host is, you know, all of the documentation for the projects that you're working on. And that is a valid thing to, you know, have in a in a share somewhere on, on your network. I know I have one. I have an entire share devoted to documentation for projects that I use in this thing. And I mean, I use it periodically but if something ever happened to me somebody else could use it and that would be useful yep. yeah documentation is amazing and, and note-taking is something we've got into quite a bit on this podcast so far so we i yeah definitely i know have been important. using VimWiki for my note-taking for the last maybe three years and called again did you say VimWiki? Yeah, Vim Wiki, Wiki. and it like you talk about command line interfaces. Um, Vim Wiki has changed my life in a very mm. positive way um, because it has a diary feature, and the idea of being able to hit a couple of commands, start a diary post with "Here's the problem that I just found, and here's how I fixed it," and then this becomes something that's greppable, searchable. You can figure stuff out at like that. Uh, without even touching my mouse, I can create an entire post for myself for the future, an entire wiki article wow. about how I solved a problem. That's magic. That's that's the best yep. thing ever. So highly recommended it, especially for anybody who is a Vim user already and likes to stay in Vim mode for their day-to-day -day tasks. It's It's a great tool. Well, the nice thing is portability. You don't have to worry about, uh, as time moves on, text files. Uh, text files I created 20 years ago are still is relevant today. I do some things in Markdown, but I don't think I've, I've wandered far off the beaten path right. here on Markdown uh, to easy, simple. Uh, I see so many people try to use more complicated 
apps that don't have easy ways to get the data out. And that's good until that app has a problem or especially if it's proprietary, if it reaches an end of life or is no longer right. supported, it doesn't have an easy export method to get it back over to the next format or using text and markdown. There's no next format. That is the format. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's there. Yep. It's it's I can take a markdown file and I can load it in MS DOS and it's going to be fine. <laughs> it'll it'll work. Yeah, I haven't so, used DOS in so long. I mean, there's some DOS games I really want to play. It's been a while. That's uh. I mean, every DOS time someone says is, DOS, I'm like, I want to play it. If you just want to play, if you just want to play vintage games, there's some great DOS box tools that'll get you there. Um, I use DOS for all kinds of goofy troubleshooting or fun stuff, just with ancient computers, but. When I was doing COBOL work, a fair amount of the documentation was written in some sort of format that would only load on DOS. And so there were plenty of times I was loading up a VM with free DOS and actually <laughs> installing applications just to load the uh, like compiler troubleshooter for so-and-so COBOL and see oh. if I can get into the man page or their equivalent of the man page that way, just to understand why somebody wrote code a certain way. And I mean, that's more of a professional thing than a home labber thing, but you know, understanding the fundamentals enough to be able to quick spin up a VM on my laptop and do that. I mean, yeah. that's, that's super important. I'm sure there's a lot of developers that are home labbers too. So I think it might be surprising just how up the, up their alley that actually is. So yeah, it's a lot of cool stuff. It's definitely a thing. Well, uh, my conversation this morning was helping someone with their home lab. They develop, uh, not publicly traded, but a billion dollar company. They want their head developers and, uh, you know, I'm just DMing with them earlier today. I mean, absolutely. The crossover is incredible between these, uh, uh, everyone, even if, even if you're a developer for a very, very large company for big, important products, you probably still have a home lab. <laughs> right. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. No. And you know, it's, it's so important to be able to understand the, like the background tools, like, you know, getting back to cockpit, I mean, cockpit or Houston is, is putting out great information in a digestible way, but it's still using your logs. It's still using your information. It's still using system D it's still using the, the background tools, and when something goes wrong in cockpit, and it does, you know, stuff happens. Yeah. There's a there's something gets out of sync, or like the other day, my um, like my ZFS didn't come back online after a kernel update, and cockpit, I like I went into it to see, will cockpit tell me what happened? No, it's just like nope can't there's there's you don't you don't have zfs and it's like yeah i do so <laughs> you know i was able to bop into the terminal and get it fixed up right away because i understand the fundamentals and i can imagine if i didn't understand that stuff it would have taken me hours of searching maybe to find it and i probably did those hours of searching over the course of years in learning the fundamentals rather than just sticking with the GUI and trying to figure out how to do it from the GUI. I, I think especially if you're using a home lab, it just makes so much sense to learn the tools behind the graphics, to get yep. into the terminal and get dirty with it just to understand what's really happening. I will say too, yeah. one of the reasons I like uh, Cockpit 
is it doesn't mangle the underlying oh, yeah. configs. It's reading from them. Uh, yes. I just seen someone in the comments show Webman, and I, I won't lie. I, I in the earlier days, I mean, Webman's been around forever, and I remember Webman's oh, been around a while. Yeah, I would do it, and I don't know where what the status of Webman today is, but the the mangled config files that would occur from Webman back in yeah. the day, I don't know where they're at today on that, but um, it certainly made it harder because when someone who was smarter than me would look at some of the configs of things I'd set up, they're like, uh, Tom, you should just learn the config file here because this yeah. mess that this I'm going to start over. <laughs> and I was right. like, so I, I learned at that point, like, oh, this isn't good. And then uh, I now mostly I quit using for, I can remember last time I used Webman outside of a demo uh, to mm -hmm. show that it exists. But yeah, now you, you kind of mm -hmm. learn that because now I understand the fundamentals better. Not to mention when you put them together with good structure in your config files with some notes as to maybe why you set something, it gives you a better understanding of, Hey, this setting I did change because of this, or this setting I did because of this. So right. I think a good way, like you said, kind of that fundamental learning and understanding it better. Well, and yeah. especially if you're going to be home labbing because you're building your way up to a career, you're not going to be able to stick in the GUI forever. There, there's going to be points in which you need to embrace your inner terminal nerd. You've got to get in there, even if you're not in there every day, even if you this is just a thing you do occasionally, even if all you're doing is managing websites, you know, and and un, you like what's one of the like cPanel or Plesk or, you know, these kind of web developer oriented tools. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody call me for a consulting gig back when I was doing consulting because their, their Plesk server was offline and they didn't know, understand why. And it's, you know, like, and I'm not picking on Plesk. I think they make a fine product, but you have to understand how to use the terminal in order to administer and troubleshoot it. And they'll say that. They'll say, hey, you shouldn't install this if you don't know at least a bit behind the curtain. And so many people, I think, get into a trap. And it's like, if you just learn those fundamentals, it's going to save mm -hmm. you the hundreds of dollars in consultant time to get your 20 websites back up. And oh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's time spent, but it's money saved in the long run. So, a uh, big fan. <laughs> so, yeah, the question that's, here. I mean, the reason why uh, the fundamentals are important because you have yeah. to, like the thing, you have to understand those things. And, and I don't trust GUIs. I mean, they crash. I mean, it's just the way it is. Window managers, maybe a little more, but, you know, the terminals failed me a lot less often. So, so question here for those of you that don't follow her channel and may not know this, uh, Veronica's got a history in COBOL programming. Would you say COBOL is a good recommended fundamental right next to basic? Should, no. Should people, okay. No one should learn not. COBOL? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, it's not a bad career, I know, but uh, no, should, yeah, it's, it's not required. <laughs> COBOL, is a, COBOL is a great career language to have in your back pocket. That's, that's what I will always <laughs> tell people. Um, Legacy systems is a lot more than just understanding COBOL because so much of it has to do with understanding hardware. And because so much of it runs on hardware, it's it's not a very often abstracted language away from the underlying systems. So like my understanding of COBOL was also tied to, you know, goofy things like understanding how um, invoice printers, like line printers worked and, and things like that. It, it's definitely a, um, it's a niche and it's a big niche and there's certainly work in it. I am a little worried about um, 
AI not replacing COBOL, but the companies who've been still working with COBOL deciding now is the time to jump to something that says, oh, we'll use AI to make it better. I'm, I'm a little concerned about job prospects unless your goal is to work in government or your goal is to work in the public sector. I think there's still right. going to be a lot of that. And financial institutions are going to be running COBOL probably for another 400 years. But um, that's a very specific niche without mm -hmm. a lot of... Uh, there, there's more competition there than there is in the public sector. So if, if you want to work in the public sector, COBOL is a great language to have in your back pocket. For everybody else, I'm going to recommend something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to bring a COBOL question in it. So. Does it stand for a completely obsolete business-oriented language? <laughs> except, except it's not. They're still using it. They're still building it. And the companies that are using COBOL, they've got some good reasons for it. It's not, I, I don't think it's laziness or like inertia that keeps people on COBOL. I do think there are some practical considerations at play with how the business use is. Um, mm. That said, it is diminishing as time goes on. And especially if you want the uh, flexibility of being able to work on multiple projects, COBOL is not the language I'm going to recommend you you consult in. Um, yeah. there, there are a lot of better languages that I would think people would, you know, even learning Rust and C at this point might be a better fit if your goal is uh, the freedom to pick and choose your clientele, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's or even focus on COBOL, narrow client base. <laughs> yes, and it's very narrow client base. And so much of legacy systems in COBOL is who you know. And that's, you can know the language and be a, be fluent and an expert in it. And if you don't know people currently working in legacy systems, you might not get very far. Right. So that's why I say it's a good language if you want to work in government. Because governments, it, it's, if you have that background, you might, actually have a, a great career hanging out for the entire 40 years of your career sitting in COBOL. <laughs> There's no end in sight for it. <laughs> There's no end in sight in government. So like if, if, if your goal is to work in government, it's a good language. Yep. Yeah. I was just that, while you're talking, looking at some of the syntax and oh my gosh. Yeah. It, it's it's its own oh, thing. It's okay. it's very unlike anything else you've you've seen, and it broke my brain a little bit on other languages too, because like I forget what order variables go in, and you know goofy little things like that periodically. And it's <laughs> you, you got to get used to looking at other languages after working in COBOL. So it's definitely a niche, and it's definitely a fun niche. Um, but it's hard to get into. And that's that's a reason I wouldn't necessarily recommend it if it's your first language. It's a good one to have in your pocket, though. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I need to get some more programming done, but and learn and, you know, maybe learn another language. I don't think it's going to be this one, though. Yeah, but. I wouldn't recommend. Um, Rust is a lot of fun. I've been playing with Rust recently. It's 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 a good time. I'm also, though, trying to learn assembly for the Amiga. So. Hmm. Interesting. That sounds yeah. fun. That yeah, sounds even more fun. 68K assembly. So wow. all kinds of fun. That would be an amazing project. Maybe I should try that someday. Hmm. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun. We we can talk offline about it. It's gonna yeah. it's yeah. it's not a fundamental I'm gonna recommend to any of you. <laughs> 
I think oh. it's right underneath my desire to develop for the Atari Jaguar, which is on my bucket oh. list. Oh, yeah, that could be. I I don't remember what what processor what what they use for the Atari Jaguar. The I know with the input processor was the Motorola, the same as the Sega Genesis, but the graphics chips were something else entirely. I can't remember though. I'm sure someone in the chat room probably knows. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Had like at least three. I forgot how many processors, but I know it had at least three. I I know I I have some fun with 6502, um the machine code or machine language for the 6502. That that's 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 some fun. Hmm. Well, this that has been great. Uh, do we have any more else? Or we I think we covered all the basic topics we wanted to get covered. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Jay or Veronica? Hmm. Want to or have time to? You have time to. There we go. That's how we're coming up on that. Yeah. <laughs> there are some. There are some really great terminal to. You know, I talked about Newsboat as a as a feed reader um, earlier, but to to go back to that kind of uh, GUI gui lists um the tui tools yeah. to you know stick in the terminal newsboat and mutt or neomutt if depending on wh what fork you want to use um they both have a very similar user interface on the in the terminal and i love using mutt for uh managing email lists and so i have a separate email address just for email lists and the ability to be able to kind of go back and forth between my email lists entirely in the terminal stripped out the the images and see those threads and see who's responding and how they're working that has been an amazing productivity hack for me mm -hmm. and then you can edit your emails directly in vim and reply and you never even have to take your hands off a home row it's absolutely fantastic right. so news newsboat has a very similar user interface to to mutt or neomutt depending on where depending on what fork you're using but i love that email client and if you're just dipping your toe in the water on a more terminal based lifestyle that's a good one to try and learn and figure out because there it's pretty well documented you can search for how to do just about anything and they it's it's a lot of fun to get configured and figured out in in on your computer in, in your terminal well it's been a while since i use mutt so it brings back <laughs> it's still I always, there. <laughs> for years that's what i used so <laughs> yep nope it's 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 a ton of fun and it's it is a great tool to learn how to configure your terminal and kind of get your toe in the water without something as daunting as say vim vim is is it will break your brain your your brain will not be the same after vim yeah once you, once you've gone modal you don't go back <laughs> yeah that makes sense wow i always i love the i love it when i come away from from an episode taking notes of things that i just need to look into after <laughs> so many cool things that i want to get into well, I'm very glad I could I could deliver that today. And I hope um, I hope other people, if they've got any questions or something, you know, I shoot. I'm on Mastodon. I'm not on Twitter or anything like that, but you, you can hit me up on Mastodon. <laughs> and I love to link to Veronica's channel. Easy to yeah, find there from there. There's uh, she's got cool swag. She's got all the all the fun stuff. And 
uh, links to the different uh, socials, such as Mastodon. So yeah, the different social. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, we we won't see that in the pearl. Yeah, <laughs> but it's fun. It's 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 a good time. I I like Mastodon. It's, yeah. it's my speed. Yeah, that's pretty fun. Yeah, there's I'm less sure. people, but there's the right people. That's how yeah, I exactly. Look at it. Like I don't need numbers. I just need fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I want I want yeah. people to engage with that I want to engage with. Not like exactly. why did someone post that? That yeah, exactly. Isn't relevant. <laughs> I mean, I I try other social media from time to time. I dip my toe in the water, and it's like uh, it's. Uh, but but Mastodon's always fun. So yeah, I've enjoyed the community on Mastodon. So I, I'm on yeah. there as well. So it's, I'm it's, on Twitter it's... still for reasons I can't explain. So. <laughs> I can't, I can't justify. We'll just, it still exists. I just keep my finger hovers in circles around the delete button and I'll go maybe later. Maybe it's it'll get hard. Better. It's hard when brands are there. Like, especially mm -hmm. if you need to talk to talk with brands as part of your, your, your work or your channel that that's, that's really hard to get rid of, I think. And so, yes, that's, that's pretty much why I'm there. They, they, I interact with a lot of brands. They retweet my stuff, uh, which is often related to some of the videos I may do about yeah. the products. So there's, there's this like piece dragging me there, but I don't spend much time on there. Like I post, I like, I drop it and run like, Hey, here's a post. <laughs> have fun, everyone. I'm not, I'm not doom scrolling on this giant pile of whatever this is. I mean, it's all doom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doom scrolling. It's there's, so how I use it is definitely different than how I use the other ones. I can go in mass and go, Oh, look, an interesting post. Yeah. Something intelligent that I want to read. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's so, it, it's, it just feels it's slower, but like, I like slow. It's fine. It's, it's I a good time. That. I'm, I'm in there. You know, there's actually a Mastodon client in the terminal too, which shares the same type of TUI interface as Mutt. I think it's, it's called Toot. So. Probably. Yeah, I think it's called Toot. So um, I used it briefly. I don't have it set up on this computer, so I can't go into it to see if that's the one it is. But I usually just use the web interface for Mastodon. But yeah, I mean, it's it was it was a fun time. I was able to, you know, post messages from my terminal and not yeah. take my hands off a of home row. It was great. Well, in, in all of us here, um, we all have websites that are easy to find and link to where you can find us, where we post things, uh, where Absolutely. information is. So uh, that's one thing is, I, I'm I'm big on that. I tell anyone getting started in YouTube, like create a home base for yourself that you own your own yes. website. Uh, that becomes the place you can send people to. Because uh, I've I've you know over the years I've switched to saying at the end of my videos, going and whatever socials you'll find me on, you can find them at my website. You know, because yep. that way it's an easier. I don't know what the future holds. Uh, so I, I well, websites just, yeah websites still is important for SEO too. So. Yep. You know, like anybody who's doing anything professional in tech, I think it does make sense to have a website. You know, if you rely on LinkedIn or you rely on your socials, you can get a lot done there. But it's having your own website helps when people search for you. And yep. assuming you want to be found because you're planning mm -hmm. on going out for a career or something, um, having a website is still, I, you can't Just really beat it. Today. That, yeah. yeah. I see people talk about like the end of websites and I'm like, no, sorry, don't get even if, even if all your website is, is a link to other places you can be found. But oh. if you're in this space and you want to make this your career, I think a website is really helpful for explaining what you know and documenting how you did it. And, you know, to tie back into VimWiki, there are so many tools that, you know, like you're in Vim. Oh, I'm going to quick write up how I did this thing. 
And then I'm going to hit a couple of commands in Vim and I just pushed it out to my website. Having the ability to do that and document your processes in a public space that allows them to not only be discoverable by others, but by your potential future employers is definitely something I recommend. And I have spent so much time working with, um, you know, kids in 16, 17 who are thinking about getting into this space on here's what you should do to get yourself ready for that job market because, you know, they, they're, you know, they'll say, Oh, it's on discord. Well, good luck having somebody find it, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, good luck, good luck telling the hiring department about something you did on discord. No, you got to post that. And, and it doesn't oh, use to play where he plays games or something like that. <laughs> but even if that thing that you did was hack Minecraft, that's still valuable to some potential like employer. If you're young and trying to get into this space, um, you know, show what you know, even if what you know is hacking Minecraft, even if what you know is CSS, you know, see, I love CSS. If you understand CSS, document the crap out of what you know about CSS because mm -hmm. somebody's going to like that. And yeah. if all you're doing is talking about it on LinkedIn or socials, you're going to get, that's not going to be accessible to the people who are going to hire you. So yeah, hosting your own website, still cream of the crop in my mind. Yep, absolutely. Yep. All right. All the links to our sites are all yes. busy. I'll make sure they're in the uh, description down below. And thanks everyone for joining us. This has been great. And uh, see you Thank next you. time. All right. Bye, everybody.